When people walk through the door, whether it's their first time or I was planning on coming here as soon as I left last week, what they see and sense and hear and feel either says yes to everything we confess about God or says no to everything we confess about God. This is the Worship Circle Podcast. Hi, this is Todd Fields, and you're listening to the very first ever inaugural grand opening launch of the Worship Circle Podcast. Worship leaders everywhere, we love you, and we want you to know that you are loved by God, you're loved by your brothers and sisters leading with you, and you are not alone. Our community is led by Christy Knuckles, Kim Walker-Smith, Paul Balash, Jeremy Riddle, Meredith Andrews, and myself, and we are standing with you as you lead week after week. Ways you can connect with what we do, real quick, if you're out there and you're going, how do I find out more information? Go to worshipcircle.com. We have a summit coming up right around the corner, September 12th, and that's an opportunity for you to jump in online with each of our coaches and be known in a small group, ask some questions, and learn some awesome worship leading tips from them. And then after that, we have registration that's going to open up for our next semester. It's a six-month term. It starts toward the back half of October. And then lastly, we have one of our extra special uh, Worship Circle rest retreats. It's a small community time on the West Coast in California in Santa Cruz, November 7 through 9. You can sign up for that on the website at rest. Hey, regardless of where you're listening from today, we want to stay connected with you. And you can do that by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes. We'd love for you to do that. You can also follow us on social media. On Instagram, our username is just simply Worship Circle. Our Facebook page uh, username is at My Worship Circle. So go give us a follow on that because it's there that we're going to be giving away free things. We're going to be dishing out some helpful tips and content that are going to help you and your leadership and are going to help your church. So we'd love for you to do that. Awesome. So glad you're listening. Well, my first guest today is a dear friend, and my wife and I, Carrie, did a thing with Louie Giglio called 722. It was a ministry that started in Atlanta to singles, and guys, out of that, we just saw it was almost like an explosion, a ministry explosion. Passion started in that season with Louie and Shelley and North Point Community Church that I'm a part of started in that season, and I... Louie has been just such an amazing voice in, I think, not only my life, but probably all of your lives as well, just from the music that's come out of passion, just his fervor for the glory of God and for Jesus and teaching. So uh, it was an honor for me to sit down with him in the studio not so long ago. And guys, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God showed up in this room as we were talking, and I could not wait just to draw out of Louie his heart and really just the heart of God and what he wants for his kingdom as it, as it pertains to worship and the church. So if you're a worship leader listening, you need to grab your pastor. You need to send him this episode and say, hey, we need to listen to this together because this could reignite what God wants to do with what we call worship in our church services. I guarantee you it's that important. Without further pause, this is Louis Giglio. Hey everybody, it's my honor to be uh, in the studio today with Louis Giglio, who has had a massive impact, I know, not only on just my life, but a lot of our listeners' life. Um, Louis, we're glad you're with us today. Thanks Todd, for being thank here. you so much. It's always a great privilege just to be in the same room with you. <laughs> 
It's good to be with you as well. Guys, um, I was in high school. I was at First Baptist Atlanta with Andy Stanley. And, um, great teaching. Dr. Stanley, Andy, just around some amazing people. I'd never heard Louie um, until one day in high school. He came. I think Dr. Stanley asked you to fill in. And I heard you speak for the first time. And, uh, man, my heart just resonated with this idea that you were talking about of God being prized above all things and us living for his glory. And even back then in your life, that seemed to be a message that was burning in your heart. Talk a little bit about those days and maybe what God was doing to cause you to even come to that place to say, I want to preach about this. I want my my life to be about the glory of God. Yeah, I think, you know, lives have a few awakenings. Every life normally has a few awakenings. None of us get everything on day one. Mm -hmm. And for me, there have been several, I call them revivals of thought and understanding in my life. Obviously, coming to know Jesus at a pretty young age, but it was college for me where salvation was a revelation for me. Right. Not, I think I probably was saved when I was younger, but the the decision to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Not too long after that, our pastor at the time went through something similar to a, a collapse, a, you know, just a, I'm tired of doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. He discovered what it meant to be in Christ mm-hmm. and who we are in Christ, the yeah. whole teaching of our identity in Christ, which mm-hmm. was revolutionary. Yeah. And we, he started preaching on it and we had guests in our church and all of a sudden it was, I am righteous in Christ. I am perfect in Christ. I am faultless in Christ. I am empowered in Christ. I am, my whole identity is as a new creation in Christ Jesus revolutionized my life. I thought this is it. I got saved and now I'm in Christ. Yeah. (laughs) But I went to seminary. Um, Jack Taylor, a name I don't know if anybody even remembers anymore, was the interim pastor at a church I was attending as a first year seminary student who loved God and knew he was in Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. And he preached for 16 Sundays on worship. Wow. I had never heard one sermon (laughs) on worship. On worship. As a first-year graduate student, Mm -hmm. I'd never heard a sermon on worship. So, that's where I came from, people. So, if you're listening to this podcast (laughs) and you're under 30, I don't care what your problems are. (laughs) You are way ahead of the curve. Absolutely. And my life was revolutionized in that next season with the concept of worship. Mm -hmm. I took a class at Southwestern. We'll talk about it a little bit later if you'll ask me. Mm -hmm. Blew my heart, my mind, my spirit up about worship. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, that's it. I'm saved. I'm in Christ. And I get that worship is a lifestyle, not something you do before a guy talks or a person talks. But then after seminary, I was sitting in a moment when John Piper did a message on the supremacy of God, Mm. and it absolutely set off a bomb in my heart. Mm. And I had my fourth awakening, and it was to the idea that everything exists for the glory of God. And the way you know it's a true awakening Mm. is when you find it on every page of the story. Yeah. So, if somebody says, man, I just had a big new revelation of something you need to know about your life in God, and it's in like six verses that they quote over and over, eh, not interested. <laughs> but when you get an awakening to the glory of God, you see it in 
chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis, yeah, <laughs> and you see it in the last verse of Revelation, and you see it on every page, and then you're reading, and here I am, hmm. I don't remember how old I was at the time, close to 30 years old, and um, I was like, where have I been my whole life? Yeah. Every story is all about the glory of God, and mm. so everything changed for me in that moment, and I wanted to make sure that I leveraged my gifts, my abilities, my time, my energy, my money, so that God could be amplified through my life, because that's what He's committed to, Right. and if that's what He's committed to, that's what I want to be committed to, but not only that, if He is the greatest thing in time and eternity than to invest our lives amplifying the greatest thing in time and eternity is the best thing to do with our lives. Yeah, that's good. Well, from that point when I heard you, um, fast forward a few years, I heard about this thing called Choice Bible Study in Texas, <laughs> and uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, Bill Willits, and you guys had been you know, having something going on there in Waco that people were, it was kind of spreading what was going on. What was going on in that time period? Was that just... Yeah, it's, you know, God is gracious, and I'd say this for everybody listening to the podcast today, to map out your life is probably not a terrible idea, yeah. but it's probably not the most beneficial <laughs> idea either. Right. I met my wife as a summer intern after that first year at Southwestern Seminary, and I ended up at the last second, I mean, literally two weeks before the summer, taking a job as a summer college intern at a church in Houston, Texas, mm. on a whim. <laughs> My friend was going to be the high school intern. Mm. She said to me at class one day, hey, they, their college intern just fell through. It's a great church in Houston. I didn't know anything about Houston. They need a college intern. I'm going down this weekend for my orientation. Why don't you come? Just see what you think. I was like, I got nothing else to do. Hello, I met my wife there, Yeah. <laughs> um, and on top of that, I ended up falling into college ministry. Okay. I was a summer college intern that summer, the next summer, the next summer, the next summer, All right. and out of that, God springboarded this idea that when I went to grad school following seminary at Baylor, that there was a reason behind that, and I didn't even see that coming. A, a, a sophomore in college said to me the weekend before my first year at grad school at Baylor, after seminary, this statement over lunch at the summer college retreat, she said, Louie, you know God's bringing you to Baylor for a reason. Mm. And when she said it, Todd, everything crystallized. Yeah. And I went, yeah, I know the reason is because Shelly's there. That's why I'm going to grad school at Baylor. <laughs> but that wasn't the reason. Baylor yeah. was the uh, largest Baptist university in the world, a great school, amazing right. people. But I think religion probably overshadowed true relationship with Jesus yeah. in those days. And so, Shelly, myself, that girl who's in heaven now, Hmm. Um, and a few other people started meeting in an apartment, praying about how God could awaken a campus yeah. to really know Jesus and to move in the power of the Spirit and to make a difference in the world. Yeah. We That little group of five, six people turned into, on some Monday nights, uh, 1,500 students, 10% of the population of the campus. <laughs> And a Bible study we called Choice, we did it for a decade there. Shelly and I led worship, and I taught. So, for 10 years, <laughs> I led worship, walked off the right side of the stage, went around the back of the stage, and came back in the left door and taught. And it was that? a beautiful season for us. Yeah. 
I remember hearing some of you guys' early music, and you and Shelly were both singing. And well, you know, our early team. music, um, this is crazy. We started meeting at the Arbor's Apartments Clubhouse, which mm-hmm. I don't know if it's still standing or not. I would say 60 people came the first night we met. Mm-hmm. And we had courses we had typed on a typewriter. I know this is crazy. This is before computers. This is before everything. We had typed three courses on a typewriter, gone to Kinko's, made Mm. 60 copies or however many we made, probably made 40. (laughs) We were looking on with each other and we were singing without instruments. It's called acapella in case anybody hadn't heard that in a while. (laughs) And the songs were, um, Lord, You Are More Precious Than Silver, As the Deer Pants for the Water. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, God was in that worship. Yeah. There was a there was a sense that we are on mission with God in this room. And eventually a guy named Dudley Callison started playing the guitar. Um, eventually Sam Perry joined us. He could mm-hmm. program a keyboard and make a whole band come out of a keyboard. Yeah. And eventually David Bell joined our worship team and eventually mm-hmm. Jack Parker who um, ended up being part of the David Crowder band was playing guitar. But we were not that great, yeah. but Integrity Music was making a series of cassette tapes. Yes. And you could subscribe to it, and you mm-hmm. got one every three months. <laughs> and the fourth one that came out, they had sequ- sequenced, Todd, the first four songs. There wasn't a pause between the songs. This was the first time this has ever happened yeah. in my lifetime. Yeah. Like, the song didn't end, and then we started another song. The songs wove together, and we looked at the cassette tape player like, there is mystery and magic coming out of this machine right now. And we were so mystified by it, we just played that at choice a lot of Monday nights. We just played the tape and put the words on an overhead projector (laughs) and said, we're just going to sing along because these guys have figured out how to weave a song together where you don't even stop between the songs. (laughs) So we were on that early wave. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was a Keith Green guy. I went and saw Keith Green play live Mm -hmm. here in Atlanta. We were on that wave, Twyla Mm -hmm. Paris, um, the early, early days of what worship now, but when that integrity thing happened, it blew the world up, mm-hmm. and we got on that wave right then and there. We were right. like, we we want to be on this wave, yeah. and we we wanted to be a part of that, and so Monday nights were worship and teaching, which is really all it's about, if you ask me. You don't need food. You don't need a lot of frills. <laughs> you don't need a skit. Yeah. You just need to, to lead people to God in worship yeah. and to cause them to see Him in, mm-hmm. in his word, and that works just about everywhere you do it. Yeah. And so you had the opportunity to do that not only in Texas, but our first encounter together just as friends and in ministry was uh, this thing called 722. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that, I, you know, next thing I know, hey, Louie and Shelly are moving to Atlanta. They've been a choice. We're going to try this Bible study, which is open to all people in Atlanta for single adults. And uh, it was 1995, I think. My wife, yeah. Carrie, and I hadn't gotten married yet, but... We met, I think our first meeting was at First Baptist North, started meeting at Dunwoody Baptist. Yeah. But that began something that for both of us was just like, okay, God, what's up? <laughs> One of the most incredible seasons of life. And I was just uh, with Rich Wilkerson, Jr. He leads a church in Miami called Vu. Mm-hmm. And he was reminding me again that he would drive down from Lee University 
to 722 on Tuesday nights. And that's where God called him into the vision that he has for his life. And we didn't see that coming, obviously. And, you know, we're going through an anthology of life here when a lot of our listeners weren't born. But there was a very special thing that happened in Atlanta in the 70s called Metro Bible Study. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was the first Metro, but it was one of the first. And one of my mentors, Dan DeHaan, Mm -hmm. spoke at it. And we didn't want it. That had had not ended in 1995. It was still going. Dan had gone to heaven long before in a plane crash. But nobody wanted to tread on that. And Bill Willits, um, who's one of the leaders at North Point now, was the singles pastor at First Baptist. Mm -hmm. And I had become friends. We'd start doing – he'd invited me to speak to their singles retreats over Labor Day, big retreats, you know, thousand singles or whatever. And our hearts were clicking for the city of Atlanta to have something for singles. But neither one of us wanted to tread on Metro Bible Study, but eventually we started on – uh, on Tuesday night, 722, mm-hmm. you were there. Mm-hmm. And um, it, again, it's just a God thing. And yeah. it was the same principle. Yeah. It was worship, inviting <laughs> yeah. people to come and to meet God in worship. And it was teaching the word. That's all it ever was. Yeah. And I was a part of it for 11 years. And I mean, there were 4,000 people in this building. A lot of nights jammed in every nook and cranny of the room. And high school kids trying to break into a single adult thing, that's when you know God is doing something great. But it was an amazing season. Yeah, we had to turn the high school kids away from time to time, but they were passionate. Those were good days. I still run into people. And for those of you who are worship leaders listening, I know and I've talked to some of you who are in your position and followed a call of God on your life because you, like Louis said, used to drive down here to experience this thing in the room, worship and the word, what Louis's talking about. And we still hear stories yeah, um, about what God did with that. I meet a lot of people at Passion City who were 722 goers. Yeah. And it's remarkable how many of them, Todd, their story is not just that they went to 722, but they say most of them I meet. Mm-hmm. We were some of the high school kids <laughs> that snuck into 722. And I just want to make a comment, not that it matters to anybody, <laughs> but that really annoyed a lot of our leadership. Yeah. Not our leadership like you and me, but a lot of the single adults were like, this is frustrating. We've got all these high school kids here. And I would look back at them and go, I'm 40. Yeah. And you're 30. Yeah. And 16-year-olds want to break into our thing. Listen, if middle school and high school kids want to break into your thing and you're a single adult – you got a good thing going on. Don't despise it. They, mm. you know, what they would say was, they make me feel old. They're making us feel old. I'm like, they're <laughs> making me feel young. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a good problem to have. And there's a lot of people that be like, I'd love to have a lot more high school kids come into our ministry. Man, you gave an example. I've, just for those of you listening, uh, so much of Louis's heart for worship and our team's heart for worship back in those days was kind of a foundation for me in worship leading. But, um, one of the examples you gave years ago, Louis, and we can talk about it, was, you know, there's a lot of questions about how do we reach non-believers? Like, we want to be a church, we want to reach non-believers. And you gave this example of this, like, going to a college football game. When you go there, like, everybody's in the colors, you know, <laughs> the band's pumping. They're there for a reason. And if you, even if you're not a fan of that team or you're not, you don't understand all the lingo of that team, like you get caught up in what's being celebrated in that place and there's something going on in your heart. Yeah. And I got to see, I think that's maybe, well, that was just played out a lot at that ministry. Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, we've even now had to 
test drive that in real life in the local church weekly setting at Passion mm-hmm. City. I was really impacted a, a while back by a book called Worship Evangelism. It was written by Sally Morgenthaler. Mm-hmm. It's a big book. And I really honestly didn't read the whole book. Um, I don't read a lot of books all the way from beginning to end because right. I'm a, a really terrible reader. But in the foreword of that book, the preface, she made a statement that's worth the price of the book. Hmm. And she said, our worship, she was talking collectively, corporately, either affirms or denies everything we say we believe is true about God. Wow. And that blew me up. Yeah. I th- what she means by that is when people walk through the door, whether it's their first time, I haven't been to church in a long time, hmm. or I was planning on coming here as soon as I left last week. What they see and sense and hear and feel Mm. either says yes to everything we confess about God or says no to everything we confess about God. So, everybody knows I'm an Auburn guy, and I always say it this way. If if I was trying to get you to be an Auburn guy, I probably wouldn't do an eight-week small group at my house (laughs) and start on week one and say, tonight we're going to go through the history of Auburn football. All right. You know, Shook Jordan, da 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 da, um, Pat Dye, blah 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 blah. Yeah. Tommy Tuberville, he was a great coach <laughs> at Auburn. I I would just say, come to the Auburn LSU game yeah. at Jordan Hare Stadium, yeah, and see what you think. It's some of it's going to freak you out. Mm. There's going to be a moment where you're going to look at me and say, "Who are you?" Mm. <laughs> I thought I knew you, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure I know you because mm-hmm. you're losing your mind right now. But you're going to go home and you think about it. Mm-hmm. You, you, hopefully, you're going to ho- go home and say, I want to be an Auburn fan. But you're at least going to go home and say, what do I believe in? Right. And so, the, the flip side of that would be going back to choice. Yeah. For a long time, we met in this church near campus that held about 1,400 people. It was packed every Monday night. One night, one of my kids, I was discipling's grandfather, came down from Dallas. He was a big business owner. Everyone in Dallas would know the name of his company, if I said it right now. Mm. And he's just granddad. I, I love God, but I'm granddad. And I, my grandson is telling me his life's being changed and revolutionized, and I got to go see what's happening. Mm. So his mom came and his granddad came, and they sat right behind me on the second row. And somehow on the first row... Right in front of them that night was windshield wiper lady. And, you know, and that's, I'm not trying to make fun of worship, and I don't really like people that do that with all the different postures and all that. But she was the, you know, the hands crossing like she was trying to wave down some traffic. Yeah. You know, and that's fine. That's beautiful. Yeah. But that night, it just got under my skin so much. Yeah. Because I was like, you got to look over your shoulder. And you got to piece it together here. Mm-hmm. Granddad looks like he's never been to anything like this before. Mm-hmm. He looks like he is like on a limb of faith just showing up here tonight. So I might just go down to like intermittent wipers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. instead of, no, this is my moment with God. This is my moment with the Lord. I'm going to meet with Jesus right now. And here I go. It's like, well, this building is is bigger than two basketball courts. And there's mm-hmm. a place probably for you to do full windshield <laughs> wipers without granddad missing the whole worship moment. Yeah. 
Because every time I looked over my shoulder, he's just staring at that lady. Now, God may have used that. The Holy Spirit may have used that. Maybe he got his life changed that night. But I think there's the balance between I want people to walk in and go, I've never felt anything like this. And what they did in there, it made Jordan Hare Stadium look tame. Yeah. These people are on fire. Yeah. But I also want to always look around when I'm in worship mm. and go, who's sitting next to me? Who's standing next to me? Mm-hmm. How can I be mature and deferential That's good. to help bring that person into right. the exuberance and enthusiasm and unbridled passion that I have for Jesus and yeah. that I want them to have for Jesus? That's so good. Um, what would you say to pastors or worship leaders listening that are like, man, I... I wish the tone or the temperature of the response to Christ in our room was way way up here. How do you cast vision for that? How do you lead in that as a pastor, as a lead pastor, while at the same time with all the talk of, hey, we need to be sensitive, not to offend? And I think that's what you're getting at when yeah. you're just like, hey, we want to respond to Christ in an authentic way, but we also want to be aware, <laughs> yeah. right, that it's... It, we can respond in such a way that it draws attention to us. But how have you at Passion City and just in your world with your team ch- champion that idea? And what would you say to pastors and worship leaders listening that maybe, man, I wish we could get our people to celebrate in this way without admonishing them? You know, you know normally it's not we got to get people to go to intermittent wipers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we're not usually on that conversation. But I, I do have that conversation occasionally with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's normally the other, and I think that's what you're asking. How do we get the volume up in here? How do yeah. we get the tone up in here? And it, the, it, the answer, interestingly, has nothing to do with the, quote, worship, unquote. Hmm. The songs we're singing, the band. Now, yeah. a, a terrible band and someone who can't sing and, and pitch yeah. can put a damper on, right. on your worship experience <laughs> yeah. for sure. But somebody who can sing amazingly – and a band that just crushes it can't necessarily help yeah. the worship environment. But pastor said to me, my people aren't responding in worship the way we want. I say, preach the gospel more. Yeah, The gospel is the engine of worship. Yeah. So, uh, we are a chosen people, a mm-hmm. royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, mm-hmm. that we may, hello, declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness, but into his marvelous light. Mm-hmm. So, it's the gospel that unleashes worship. And I think the more you preach the gospel, the more you elevate the cross, the more you talk about that this is an improvement process. Mm. This is death to life. This is not, uh, I needed a help in hand and God helped me. This is, I was dead and helpless. And by the grace of God, I am alive from the dead because of the grace of God in Christ. That's where worship is born. That's why a man at the cross who had possibly even driven the nails in his hand said, surely this must be the son of God. Yeah. I mean, the blood had barely hit the ground before worship happened at the foot of the cross. And so, preach the gospel. The second thing, Todd, is that... I just asked that pastor, are you a worshiper? Yeah. The worship leader of every church. Mm. I hate to put a damper <laughs> on any worship leaders yes. that are listening is the pastor. Yeah. 
the pastor is the shepherd of the flock. Mm -hmm. And if the shepherd of the flock isn't singing the right song, then the sheep aren't going in the right direction. That's good. So, pastors and shepherds have to sing. That's what I love about the black church. Yeah. At the black church, the pastor might just break into a song at any moment. Yeah, himself. Himself. <laughs> yeah. And lead, and people will follow. Yeah. And in the in the white church I grew up in, hardly ever would a pastor do that. Yeah. Because we had a minister of music to do that. Yeah. And he took that role. The pastor took the preaching, teaching role. I would encourage every pastor to see yourself as the worship leader of the church. You don't have to play an instrument. Mm-hmm. You don't even really have to be able to sing in tune. Mm-hmm. But you do have to have a heart. Like David, yep, and a heart of passion and a heart of adoration. You got to get out of your notes. You can't be looking down at your notes or shaking hands with people during the singing and the worship. Mm. You got to be front row, eyes closed, hands raised up to heaven, yeah. heart exploding before God. And you say, "Well, I don't want to put. I don't want people to see me. I don't want to. I don't want to become a distraction." Well, no, you do want people to see you. Mm-hmm. You want people to go, wow, that's our pastor right there. Yeah. And he, I don't know what he's doing, but it looks like he loves Jesus. Yeah. And then when you get up and preach, they want to see you preaching as worship. My preaching is worship. Mm. So don't tell me it's worship for 20 minutes or 25 or 30 minutes, and then it's the preaching. No, (laughs) it's music worship, and then it's hosting worship, and then it's giving worship, and then it's me worship, and my preaching is worship. So that's the attitude and heart, and the gospel is the message. And if you got that heart and that message, Mm -hmm. you're going to have people – if you give them the opportunity, who are going to express heartfelt praise to God. We've seen worship change the atmosphere in a room. And I know, um, guys, for those of you who haven't picked it up, Louis' latest book is called Goliath Must Fall. He's got one before that called The Comeback. Um, But in both of those, Louis, you talk about just being really vulnerable about a season of life where it's like, Lord, what's going on? You know, what? there's this darkness coming over me. And in in those, especially in Goliath Must Fall, you talk about how worship can be a weapon against fear. And just talk a little bit about to those listening that are in churches about the power, the real power of worship in that corporate setting, but in our daily life with what you've experienced and what you've been walking through. Yeah, man, we could do five podcasts on it, Todd. <laughs> uh, the shortest version of it is that you know, the antidote to fear, which is the underlying agent in a lot of things in life. Mm-hmm. A lot of giants have the underlying giant of fear. And fear has cousins, panic, worry, anxiety, mm-hmm. dread, doom. Um, grandparent probably is depression. But the antidote to fear isn't courage. So, if somebody's afraid, you don't say, well, man, you just need to buck up. You just need to get some courage. You just need to, yeah. you know, hulk up and armor up. The antidote to fear is faith. Mm-hmm. So, if your child is afraid and you say, hey, come on, just stop being afraid. Mm. That's not as helpful as dad's here. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Why? Dad's here. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're saying is have wow. faith. Yeah. Dad's here. Yeah. So, the antidote to fear is faith, not courage. Mm. So, that's why the Bible says 365 times, fear not. It doesn't say be more courageous. It doesn't, the Bible say be courageous, right? but it's be courageous based on faith. And so, if the antidote to fear is faith, the soundtrack to faith is worship. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm asking the question, who gave the enemy control of the soundtrack of our lives? Who gave him the playlist? Yeah. But he's got it. Yeah. And he's playing doom, dread, whatever can go wrong is going to be wrong. Don't talk to God. He doesn't care about you. Whatever you think is going to happen, it's going to be way worse than that. You're not going to get a second chance. It's all over. You might as well quit. You might as well give up, blah, blah, blah. That's the playlist. Well, we know that's not our father. Mm. So we've just given the playlist to the enemy. And for me, the deepest, darkest point I've ever been in in my life, not Mm. too far from where we are in the studio right now, in Mm. my bedroom, 2 a.m., after months of crippling anxiety and depression. Mm. Didn't leave the house for days on end was a song of worship. Yeah. It was me crying out to God one more time saying the doctors are trying, but they're not helping. Yeah. Everything I'm doing spiritually, we're doing it, but it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, people are around me loving me, but it's not changing the situation. God, I got to have something tonight. Mm. And I remember Job from another season of my life, um, God gives songs in the night. And I just said to God, if you'll give me a song tonight, I'll sing it to you. I'm so far down, so broken down, so desperate, so weak, Mm. but I know you're God. And if you'll give me a song, I'll sing it. And you would have thought, Louie, maybe you could have thought of How Great Is Our God, or maybe you could have thought of another song that you guys had helped (laughs) launch to the world. I couldn't. Yeah. But the, that little refrain came to my mind yeah. from the Spirit. Uh, Be still, my soul. There is a healer. His love is deeper than the sea. His mercy is unfailing. His arms a fortress for the weak. Mm. And I sang that song that night. Mm. And there was no instant magic the next morning. Yeah, uh, I still had a process. I, 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 I liken it to clipping the or breaking the string on your tennis racket. Mm-hmm. You can try to swing harder, but it doesn't help. You can put duct tape on it. It doesn't help. You got to take all those strings out yeah. and you got to restring that racket. And that's what happened to me. And it takes time. But that moment was the turning point because when the next night came, the same dread came, the same two o'clock came, the same doom claim came, the same sweat yeah. came. But when it came, I said, I'm ready for you. Be still, my soul. There's a healer. His love is deeper than the sea. His mercy is unfailing. And I just sang it and sang it and sang it and sang it. Worship is a weapon that pierces the darkness and leads us into light. And that's Uh, personal and corporate. So when we gather at church, we are not prepping people. We are prepping people. We are calling people to worship. That's a good term. Mm. We are inviting people to redial their focus. That's good. We're resetting the soundtrack. We're taking Mm -hmm. the playlist away from the enemy for a minute. We're mm-hmm. building faith, reminding people of God's faithfulness. We're underscoring theology. We're teaching people the Bible while we're singing in worship. Yeah. But we're also announcing to the world that God is alive and Jesus is on the move and the Spirit of God is in this place. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we see God move in power. Mm-hmm. And there are countless stories of people at Passion City Church. They got saved during the worship. They yeah. had a breakthrough <laughs> during the worship. They yeah. had a healing moment of some kind in their life during the worship. Yeah. Uh, there are people who leave during the worship and go to the access space and talk yeah. to someone. Yeah. And it's not just during the preaching or at the response time. Man, the worship is a game-changing, power-shaping, atmosphere-altering, yep. faith-building moment personally and 
corporately, and it's powerful and valuable in a million ways. But whenever you get your eyes back on God and you start to confess mm. with your mouth and agree with God about God, mm. then salvation comes. When yeah. you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord yeah. and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's yeah. when you're saved, the first time and every time in the process of sanctification. So, worship is a part of our continual salvation. And boy, when you see it that way, all of a sudden, you're not looking at a set list anymore. You're looking at weapons. Yeah. And you're looking at still water. And you're looking at a thermostat mm-hmm. on the wall. And you're looking at food and nourishment for your people. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at a library of the theology of God. And it's a whole different thing. Man. So good. So powerful as you're saying that. Um, the scripture that God inhabits the praises of his people came to mind. And that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Yeah. And um, what would you say? You know, you've talked in the beginning about identity. Christ is in me, the hope of glory. I'm righteous. I'm mm. a saint. I've been crucified, raised. So the presence of God is in me. But at the same time, what you're talking about and what we're, we're, we're trying to help, I think, people understand is that something is stirred up. Mm-hmm as it pertains to the presence of God, mm-hmm. when we acknowledge His power and yeah. declare mm-hmm. who He is and the truth of who He is in a space collectively, yeah. something happens that's mysterious, yeah. right? And it's a powerful thing. It's intangible, you know, but it is amazing. And, you know, that's why I love the Great Assembly. Yeah, This is what I call church now. Yeah. I wish I could say I was responsible for that, but like a guy David. in our church said that, and I picked it up and I've run with it, yeah. to, to treasure the Great Assembly. And because in the great assembly, there is a collective power that's different than just me in, in my own zone. Mm-hmm. In my faith, could, I could come in a little bit low, right? but you could pick me up. Mm-hmm. Or I could come in really strong in faith, and I could pick you up. Yeah. That's the nature, the contagion yeah. of faith in worship. Yeah. And God does still inhabit the praises of his people. And it is, you know, my mom, who's in heaven, used to say to me, I, I, it means more to me now, but we'd be at church, and after after a gathering at Passion City, she was there the Sunday before she passed away, and she'd just look at me and she'd say, can't you feel the Spirit? <laughs> I can just feel the Spirit. Yeah. And I'd go, absolutely. Yeah. And I think people walk in our church all the time, I mean, mm. almost every week, and they say, when I walked through the doors, I mean, before they even heard, because the, the, the Spirit doesn't come when you start playing the first song. Yeah. See, that's the, the weird part. It's yeah. not like, oh, we started worship and now God is here. Yeah. If you want God to be in your house, then God's in your house. Right. And and people have said, when I walked through the door, I just knew. Yeah. I, I felt something. Yeah. And I want that, and we want that. That's the power of God among the people of God. I think, you know, if I could just, nobody's asking me to, but I think you can take that down a road, and you can sort of, you can maybe worship the experience. Yeah. And what we want to do is worship Jesus. We say at our church, we have a lead story. Mm-hmm. So, don't tell me that the toilet's not working in the bloom room. <laughs> that, that's true, but that's on page 18. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, yeah. our lead story, our headline is Jesus is alive. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is here. Mm. And people's lives are being wrecked for the glory of God. That's our Beautiful. headline. Now, maybe we got some problems we're working out, but that's page two, page three, page right. four. Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit is here. Mm-hmm. And people's lives are being wrecked for his glory. And that's what we believe creates the atmosphere 
that changes people's lives. What I don't want to do is lift up for people any part of that. You know, the Shekinah glory of God was amazing, but I don't, I don't think the Shekinah glory has fallen on buildings anymore. I think it's the faces of people being changed by the Spirit mm, of God and good. the power of Christ. So, right. I would just say this, that it's probably controversial. Whenever I see a capital P presence, yeah. I always wonder why it's capitalized. Yeah. It's like, I know why Jesus is capitalized, and I know why Father is capitalized, and I know why Holy Spirit's capitalized, but why is presence capitalized? Mm-hmm. Because the presence is Jesus. The presence is the Holy Spirit. The presence mm-hmm. is the Father. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't want to worship the presence, capital P, of God. Yeah. I want to worship Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father. We're talking to worship leaders today, Louie, launching this thing called Worship Circle, and um Worship leaders are all over listening. How would you just encourage them in their role right now in the moment as they're listening and pastors listening? What would you? What would be your heart to them just as somebody who's in the trenches with them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would say pastors and worship leaders get together, A. Yeah. Pastor, take the lead. Mm. Take the lead and tear down the wall if there is one. Mm-hmm. Or even the fence. Yeah between the creative team and the pastoral team come together mm-hmm. seek a common heart and mission pray together and worship together mm. because a church that has a pastor and a worship leader that are praying together and worshiping together is unstoppable that'd be my first encouragement mm-hmm. second encouragement would be forget about commerce uh, too many worship leaders right now are thinking about commerce yeah and it's about calling yeah Anointing doesn't go with commerce. Anointing goes with calling. Oh, and who we need, if I were looking for a worship leader right now, I would take a, a 7 out of 10 with anointing over a 15 out of 10 that was all about commerce. And I'm looking for people that are humble, who love Jesus, who have a Bible, yeah. who've, who read it, <laughs> who actually sit in the whole gathering yeah, and don't feel like their calling is to drink coffee in the green room. Right. I I don't sit in the green room and drink coffee while our worship leaders lead our house in worship. So I'm shocked at why our worship leaders sit in the coffee and in the green room and drink coffee while uh, God opens His Word. Yeah. And and granted, I do teach longer than they lead worship, but I I'm sit through every gathering. Yeah. Why well, would I miss out on an opportunity to worship God? Yeah. I may not even be at church again next week. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for real genuine people, pastors and worship leaders that love Jesus mm-hmm. and that have a, a devotion of with God, a real devotion with God. Like I love God, not I love that I get to wear a cool outfit and get on stage and sing my song or I get yeah. to to put a song on iTunes or we made a little EP or yeah. we got to forget about all that. Yeah. And right now commerce is instant. Yeah. So it used to be you had to be good enough to get signed to a label to make an album. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't, you just served the church. Right. Now, all you got to do is press a button on your computer and you, you might become instantly famous. Your YouTube channel may blow up. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that's not what the church is about. It's not what the kingdom's about. And so we got to forget about selling books. We got to forget about selling DVDs, pastors. We got to mm-hmm. forget about 
iTunes, songs, Spotify, mm. and we got to get back to the heart of worship. Thank you, Matt Redman. <laughs> yeah. When the music fades, yeah, and all is stripped away, and all is stripped away, yeah, I will simply come. Yeah, and if we get back there and stay there, I promise mm-hmm. you, the commerce will come because yeah. God always blesses and anoints that, and yeah. He always exports that. Yeah, but I just like to call us, me, back to the true heart of worship, to the true spirit of worship as Mm -hmm. a pastor and a worship leader. And if we do that in the spirit of brotherhood, Mm -hmm. team together. Mm. Um, Pastor, I just encourage you, you can probably not listen to this because it's called a worship circle. (laughs) And you thought that's not for you. (laughs) But I encourage you, be a bridge builder Mm -hmm. to your worship team, to your creatives. They're different. They don't operate like you. Their brain doesn't work like your brain. They don't like schedules. They don't like routine. They're not good at linear thought, all of them. But man, they they are the gift and it's the one, two punch. It's the body blows and the chin Mm -hmm. smashes that take down the darkness and lead people into freedom. Mm. So good. Louis, thank you for um, being a cheerleader of so many in your lifetime, mainly for for the Son of God, for Jesus and what He's done for you. Um, Your love for Him is contagious. It's affected generations of people, you and Shelly. So thank you guys for your ministry. It's rich. Thanks for all that God's allowing uh, to happen at Passion City Church. Y'all keep following Him. We'll keep following what He's doing with you guys and praying for you. And um, guys, ladies, whoever's listening, just like Louis said, be encouraged. You are loved by the King of creation who gave His life for you. You are secure in your identity in Him, and you're not alone. We're all on this earth in this lifetime in this generation to bring glory to His name. So, Louis, thank you for being with us. Love you. It's been great. Love you too, Todd. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening today. And we want you to remember that as you lead, we stand with you. There are thousands in the kingdom united with you to bring the message of hope in Christ as you lead week after week. We'll see you next time.